Blog Talk Radio. Imagine standing at a crossroads where every path seems shrouded in mystery and uncertainty. You feel the weight of choices. Each path 
promising different outcomes and experiences. It's in such moments that the cry of our hearts echoes the plea of the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 133. Direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. This profound verse isn't just a request. It's an admission of our need for divine guidance in the maze of life. Now, if you believe that God can make a difference in your life today, let us stand together in faith. I will pray a fervent prayer with you in the mighty name of Jesus. So watch until the end and open your hearts to receive the blessings of this prayer. We live in a world where our steps can easily veer off into paths of distraction or danger. The choices we make, the roads we take, the relationships we nurture, and the values we hold dear all require wisdom that transcends our limited understanding. In the Bible, the notion of steps often symbolizes our life's journey. It reminds us that life is not static, but a series of movements and decisions. And in this journey, we are not alone. We have a guide who promises to lead us through his word. Reflect on your life for a moment. Think about the times you felt lost, unsure of which direction to take. Remember the moments of decision, big or small, that shaped the course of your journey. At times, the way ahead may have seemed clear, illuminated by the light of your understanding. But how often have we found ourselves at a dead end, or worse, on a perilous path, simply because we trusted in our wisdom? This is why our hearts echo the psalmist's prayer. Guide my steps. It's a prayer of humility, acknowledging that we don't have all the answers. It's a prayer of faith, Trusting that God, who sees the end from the beginning, will guide us. It's a prayer of surrender, yielding our will and desires to his perfect plan. When we invite God to direct our steps, we are not giving up our freedom. Rather, we are exercising the highest form of freedom, choosing to walk in the light of his wisdom and love. Now consider the second part of the verse and let no iniquity have dominion over me this is crucial our journey is not just about finding the right path but also about walking in righteousness it's a recognition that our choices are not morally neutral they can lead us either towards or away from the path of integrity and purity Asking God to guide our steps is also a plea for him to protect us from the influence of sin and wrongdoing that can so easily entangle us. In our journey through life, there are many voices clamoring for our attention. Voices of society, culture, personal ambition, and even our desires. These voices can sometimes drown out the still, small voice of God leading us astray. But when we earnestly seek God's guidance, he promises to lead us. As Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6 reminds us, 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. This is a promise of divine direction and intervention. But how does God guide us? He guides us through his word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, as Psalm 119 verse 105 declares. He guides us through the inner prompting of the Holy Spirit, who speaks to our hearts and minds, guiding us into all truth as affirmed in John 16 verse 13. He also guides us through wise counsel from others, through circumstances, and through the peace that comes from making decisions aligned with His will. Embracing God's guidance requires us to let go of our desire to control every aspect of our lives. It means trusting that even when the path seems uncertain or challenging, God is working out His perfect plan for us. It's about believing that He knows what is best for us and is capable of leading us to our destiny. This trust doesn't come easy, but it's a journey worth embarking on. As we navigate through the complexities of life, let us remember that our steps are ordered by the Lord, as Psalm 37 verse 23 tells us. When we commit our way to the Lord, He will establish our steps. This doesn't mean we won't face challenges or make mistakes but it does mean that we can rest in the assurance that God is with us every step of the way, guiding, correcting, and leading us towards His purpose for our lives. So, today, as we stand at the crossroads of life, let's make a conscious decision to ask God to guide our steps. Let's pray with sincerity and open our hearts to His leading and also be willing to follow wherever He guides. In doing so, we will find that our paths become clearer, our decisions wiser, and our lives more aligned with His perfect will. Now, to all those within the sound of my voice, let us go to the Lord in prayer. I want you to pray this prayer with me so that you can have all the blessings of this prayer. You may also listen to this prayer daily as you build your faith and come in agreement. Let us pray to our gracious and loving God. Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, I come before you with a heart full of praise. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who guides the stars and directs our steps. Your majesty and power are beyond our understanding, yet you care for us deeply. I thank you, Lord, for your unending love, your grace, and the countless blessings you bestow upon us each day. Your goodness and mercy follow us, and for this I am eternally grateful. Thank you, Father, for the gift of life, for the air I breathe, and for the love I experience from you and those around me. In this moment of prayer, I humbly ask for your forgiveness for my sins. Forgive me, Lord, for the times I have strayed from your path. As I seek your forgiveness, I also forgive those who have wronged me 
releasing any bitterness and resentment in my heart. Cleanse me, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Lord, as I step into this new day, I pray for divine direction in all that I do. Guide my thoughts, decisions, and actions according to your will. Help me to recognize your voice leading me and grant me the wisdom to understand the plans you have for me. May your word be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, illuminating every step I take. Protect me, O God, from missteps that lead away from your will. I rebuke any plans of the enemy to cause confusion or to lead me astray. In the name of Jesus, I declare that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Shield me from harm and keep me on the path of righteousness so that I may walk in your truth and integrity. Lord, I pray for strength and courage, especially in times of trial and uncertainty. When challenges arise, remind me that you are my rock and fortress. I declare in the name of Jesus that I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. In every difficult situation, grant me the fortitude to endure and the faith to trust in your unfailing love and power. I ask for clarity of purpose, O Lord. Reveal to me the unique path you have set for my life. Let my actions and choices reflect the calling you have placed upon me. In the name of Jesus, I declare that my life is aligned with your divine purpose, and I am walking in the destiny you have ordained for me. Gracious Lord, teach me obedience and surrender as I seek to understand your will. Help me to submit my will to yours, knowing that your plans are higher than mine. In every decision, let me seek your face and follow your guidance. I bind any spirit of rebellion or pride in the name of Jesus, and I declare a heart that is receptive to your leading. Guide me in my relationships, Father. Bless my interactions with others and help me to build connections that honor you. I pray for wisdom in my dealings and for the ability to show your love and grace in all my relationships. I declare that my relationships are guided by your love and wisdom, bringing glory to your name. Grant me peace in decision-making, Lord. In moments of uncertainty, fill me with your tranquility, ensuring that my choices align with your will. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke any spirit of anxiety and confusion. I declare that in every decision, your peace reigns in my heart, guiding me to make choices that honor you. I pray for trust in your timing, Almighty God. Help me to be patient as I wait for your guidance, knowing that you make all things beautiful in your time. I rebuke any spirit of impatience or frustration in the name of Jesus. I declare that I will wait on you with faith and confidence, trusting in your perfect timing for every aspect of my life. Empower me with courage to follow your lead, Lord. 
even when the path is unfamiliar or challenging, strengthen my resolve to walk in faith. I declare in the name of Jesus that I am fearless in pursuing the direction you have for me. I rebuke any spirit of fear or hesitation and claim boldness and confidence in following your call. I pray for my loved ones, Lord. May your blessings, guidance, and protection be upon them as well. Let them experience your love and grace in their lives. I declare that they too are walking in your divine purpose and are shielded by your mighty hand. Lord, as I say this prayer, together with everyone listening, I am grateful for every heart that is humbled before you right now. We come in agreement as we pray for each other, knowing that you are in our midst as you promised. We claim victory in your name, declare healing for those in need, and thank you for your protection and guidance. Together, we ask for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to guide us and strengthen us in our daily walk with you. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering my prayer. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, amen. If you were blessed by this prayer, type the word amen in the comment section below. I declare that all the blessings spreading the love worldwide www.jesusinthemorningradio.com Hallelujah, hallelujah. We thank God this morning for prayer. And not only just prayer, but he hear and answer our prayers. And so we're grateful unto him today for all he has done already and what he's doing right now and what he's going to do as our day or night progresses on. He's for us today, and his word says if he be for us, he's more than the whole world against us. And I thank him today, and I love him, and I can't leave him, because without him, I wouldn't know what to do. Hallelujah. So I thank him this morning. We're moving right along today, and I wanted to go to the Bible quiz. I kind of messed up. I kind of put the... Uh, horse ahead of the cart yesterday and I'm going back to make a poll and I put the balance of those other five uh, quizzes, questions rather, in there and then uh, we can answer those five questions. I put some on there yesterday, some new ones that's not a part of this um, 10 I had and I think Minister Overtree went over and he answered them but still, today, um, we can talk about some of them, if you like, or talk about uh, all of them and uh, move on from there. But I'm going back, like I said, and make a poll and put the other five of the first uh, Bible quiz there. Because I have so much going on a lot of times, and I don't get to do what I used to do. So, <laughs> we, so a lot of things that. I would do, I can't, but what we'll do is what we can, and I know God honor that because he understand and he know uh, the situation right now, but listen, y'all keep me in prayer, 
I need your prayers and intercessors. Y'all pray for me and pray for Minister Overtree as well. He, uh, last I heard from him, he was in the hospital. I know these are not names you hear often, but uh, these people, some of them have been guests on the show and brought the word of the day, or, you know, they was they tune in when they can. So uh, Minister Ogletree, he need our prayers, and so we want to keep him lifted up. This was a man, if you ever went all the way back to, like, maybe the first few months I began to do Jesus in the morning, he was a police officer. And he prayed the prayer of faith and told God whatever he needed him to do to use him. Well, he being the police, he ended up in jail for murder, <laughs> for murder that he didn't commit. And so he in there praying with people and ministering and leading people to Jesus and God opening doors and these people going home and he got to stay. And he's like, Lord, I'm doing what you said. Well, the work wasn't done. But when the work ended, then he was able to be released and everything. So it was a beautiful, beautiful testimony he brought forth and he's come another time and brought the word. And uh, But he's sick here lately, so he hadn't been able to uh, come and minister. He traveled from Florida. I forgot back to somewhere up north. And uh, he was telling me the other day he's thinking about coming back from north back to Florida. And so we'll just have to see where God, uh, where he end up. Yeah. But y'all keep him lifted up in prayer, Minister Ogletree. Hallelujah. So we thank God and we're moving right along this morning. And uh, we're going to look today at two different scriptures. Our title today is this, Watching and Praying. Watch and pray not only to avoid temptation, but so we are not a part of what's going on in the world. Again, today the Christians, believers, and saints are in the world, but not of the world. So we looked at Luke chapter 12 and verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find watching, uh, find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself to make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. Those, when he come back, he see that we're watching. There's a scripture that says, watch as well as pray. And so this is where we want to be. Uh, again, not not just watching so we don't fall into temptation, but you know. But then too, we're watching for that as well because the world is offering so much now, and we just tend to go along with what the world is offering. Uh, we we don't say anything; we just let it be good. Whatever they say, that's what we do. Uh, the believer, the Christian, the saints of God, we don't say anything. We don't like confrontation. We don't like nothing. We just let whatever go on, go on. And then I'm going to tell you something. If you're hanging out with them who uh, act like they of the world, well, they are of the world because they're doing what the world do. They're thinking the way the world thinks. Then they want to pull you into that. They want you to do what they're doing. Now, you do what I do. Uh, 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 be a, go on about your business. Because I'm running up the King's Highway. I'm not in your position. 
I don't have to look or act like the world. Yeah, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Jehovah is my God and Heavenly Father. Yeah, and if he be for me, he's more than the whole world against me. But do we really believe that? Because a lot of times people don't really believe that because they're on the spot right now to show the world that they're part of it. And they understand and they're going to do what the world does. I I can be partaker. I want to come out from among them and be separated. I prefer to stay to myself. Yeah, I prefer to be with me and God because we have a relationship and everything is beautiful. But when we connect with other people, it messes up a lot of things. Yeah. But again, God knows the very intent of our heart. And so we keep pressing on. Yeah. In Jesus' name. And it's already all right this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I found this. uh, They say it's a testimony. And I wanted to let you hear it this morning and get some feedback. Uh, from you on it because in there I'm not quite uh, hmm, sure that everything is where it should be but we're not judging anybody and see who the world accepts I can't yeah I have to be careful because the world just accepts any and every old thing it sounds good but I got to know God is moving. Yeah. So I'm going to play this uh, testimony and see what you think and give me some feedback on it. I was born June 21st, 1989. And I was born to a, a, in a single-parent household. I think that already kind of established a bit of confusion in me just because I didn't have a father figure. My dad was very inconsistent. He would come into my life in seasons and then come out of my life. And so my entire framework of men for a long time was that men were not to be trusted, that men said things that they did not believe, that men did things that they did not uh, really want to do, specifically when it related to me. Um, I was introduced to pornography around the age of five or six, um, and I was molested around the age of seven. So you have to understand that now I'm not only fatherless, but I'm also being introduced to sexuality in its preferred form. I'm being introduced to sexuality in a way that makes it seem as if sexuality is to be outside of marriage, but also that it means that it's to be an objectifying thing, that it has no dignity attached, that it has nothing to do with glory, and it has nothing to do with Jesus. It's just people doing what they want to do. Um, and so I'm already having kind of a confused perspective when it comes to sex itself. I think that's why our generation, our millennials, if you will, I think that's why we're kind of jacked up now. It's because we see, we have been introduced to sexuality in a distorted form. And so now when people tell us that sex is beautiful within marriage between one man and one woman, it sounds confusing. It doesn't sound as beautiful because that wasn't the original way we learned about it in the first place. And so that's where I came from. Um, Growing up, I also had gender confusion. So I felt in myself that I wasn't supposed to be a woman. It felt as if this body was not my own. It felt like this body was a bit strange. I felt more comfortable uh, being in masculine positions and doing masculine things. And honestly, to be frank, I believe the culture has assisted us in this kind of confusion because for too long it has made femininity and masculinity things that are not biblical. 
for somebody like me who doesn't like pink, um, who doesn't wear purses because I don't like extra baggage, I would prefer to have my debit card and my phone in my back pocket, I have been told growing up that that made me a tomboy, that that made me less than feminine. And so now when people start to question themselves, what they're questioning is things that wasn't even non-feminine in the first place. Um, and so I just was just confused. Um, and so I went to church with my aunt. My aunt, my mother is not a believer, and so I didn't go to church with her, but I went to church with my aunt every weekend who was. And the thing about my aunt that was crazy is that she, it was just weird to be, Christians are weird. Um, I'm sure y'all know that. Jesus was writing on the ground, you know, while people was talking, telling people to stone people. It's like, why are you writing on the ground, bro? Like, what are you doing? Um, my aunt was a clear contrast to my mother. And I remember there were two situations where I saw how Jesus makes people different. The first situation was we were at a thrift store because she really loved thrifting. And this lady, I guess, cut her off. Something happened in traffic where the lady got mad at my aunt, and she just started to cuss my aunt clean out. My aunt, just this sweet lady with like a dress down to her ankles and listen to gospel all the time. She's just like, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. And she meant it. And I was so confused. I'm like, this lady is talking to you crazy, and you just talk about some God bless. You need to curse her out too. I don't understand how you're just going to let somebody disrespect you. But Jesus had changed her. The second situation was I remember uh, I would be at our home, and she would be singing the Psalms. And as a six-year-old, I'm like, why are you singing a song that doesn't rhyme? I don't, I don't really understand how, like, nothing connects. It's just you and Jesus. But to me, it was a distinctive difference between how she lived her life and how I saw my mother live her life. Where to me, it began to do something in my own conscience and in my own heart where it's like, man, God really does make people different. He really does change people. Um, But while being in church, I still had these affections for same-sex or these same-sex desires. I still felt in and of myself that I was not who I thought I was supposed to be. But the way they talked about my struggles from the pulpit made me feel like I wasn't too free to confess that. Um, It seemed as if it was discussed in such a way where if I was to be open about how I felt that it would be met with stones and not grace, it felt as if the church was not a safe place for me to be free about how uh, my mind was thinking and how my soul felt. It felt as if I was a leper. It felt as if hell must have had a special place for me specifically. Like, that's how I felt. Like, I'm going to go straight to hell, and they're just going to have a VIP just for Jackie Hill Perry right there. But I think God was faithful in developing my conscience in such a way that though the church may not have met my uh, feelings in a way that felt safe. I still felt as if how I felt wasn't clearly right. So high school comes. That's when I got completely ratchet. I think high school, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, high school just turns you into somebody else. Uh, (laughs) High school, I just started doing what I wanted to do, started to become incredibly rebellious. I I still am a rebel. I I just try to submit that unto Jesus. But I'm just not a fan of authority. I'm just not a fan of people telling me what to do. Uh, I I was so bad. Please don't follow my lead, but I was so bad to the point that my freshman year, 
I would, my teacher would hand me the paper, I would sign my name and give it back to her. And she was like, you didn't do anything. I signed my name. Like, you didn't, <laughs> I don't get an A for effort. Like, I just thought, like, she should give me a sticker or something. And so I was just a terrible student. I was a terrible person. Um, high school dance, I was 17. This young lady that I knew from middle school, she came up to me and she asked me if I would be her girlfriend. By this time, no one had ever known that I was same-sex attracted because in that season of my life, it wasn't a cool thing to do. Um, and so nobody had known. So she asked if I could be her girlfriend, and I was just like, girl, that is really gay. Like, you need to get out of my face because I had to, like, front, you know, and act like that's not what I was with. But when I went home, I could not get her question out of my mind. Um, and I sat at home, and I started to wrestle with her invitation. And I started to ask myself, Jackie, like, you've been wanting to do this for a long time. You've been feeling these desires since you were five, since you were six. Like, why not do it now? And so I got on MySpace. I don't know if y'all remember that anymore. <laughs> That's when time was cool. Uh, I got on MySpace. Does it even exist? Is it alive? He probably works for Zuckerberg or something, I'm sure. Um, that's the Facebook guy. Um, I got on MySpace, and I, I messaged her, and we entered into a relationship that lasted maybe six and a half days. After that relationship, if you want to call it that, um, I called this guy because in my mind I'm like, okay, God doesn't like gay people, so let me just try to be straight. So I called this dude because, yeah, I did, and I remember kissing him, and it felt like every attraction I had had for a guy had left. It felt like it wasn't natural. It felt like it wasn't normal. So I made up in my mind that it must be that I am supposed to be gay. So what did I do? I got back on MySpace, and I got into a relationship with one young lady who I was with for two years. In that relationship is when I transitioned into the role of a stud. So in the black community, a stud is the lesbian female uh, that dresses typically in masculine apparel. She typically is uh, the domineering voice in the relationship. She plays the male, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I think in white communities, sometimes it's called butch. Um, and so that's what I was. And in that world, I had boxers, I stacked my pants, I wore uh, sports bras that would flatten my chest so that you couldn't see it. At that time, I had long hair, so I would just put my hair back in a ponytail. I was never bold enough to do a low cut. I was a bit scared of how I would look with short hair. Um, and so that's what I was. I was going to gay clubs, going to gay pride parades, um, engaging in that lifestyle to the fullest extent that I could. But while I was in it, the interesting thing is, is there was this kind of dichotomy of having fun, but not having joy. And I couldn't really figure out the difference between the two because I was enjoying myself. I loved my girlfriend. I loved my friends. I felt like what I was doing was who I was, but at the same time, I could not get a hold of peace. And I didn't necessarily know how to because I felt like Christianity was just a bunch of duty, dutiful people. Like, they just seemed, I, I used to go to church and everybody just seemed unhappy. I was just like, why are these people so mad all the time? Like, it's just, I just didn't want to be that. And I didn't want to wear long dresses and just listen to only gospel. Like, I just felt like that was what Christianity was. I had never known that Christianity was Jesus. I had never known that Christianity was relationship. I had never known that salvation was a supernatural work of the Spirit of God. 
So I'm in this lifestyle. I'm doing me. Um, the interesting thing is a Christian never spoke to me while I was in it. When I would be around Christians, they would actually look past me. They would look through me. They wouldn't look at me. They wouldn't talk to me. They would ignore me. And I'm not sure why. I can't judge their motives, but I think it could be two things. One, three things. It could be fear, fear of how I would respond to them if they told me about Jesus. I think another thing could have been self-righteousness, is that they assumed that my sin deserved more hell than their self-righteousness did. I think another thing could have been just indifference. No concern for how God was seeing me in that moment. Um, But the thing was, God was faithful to continue to work on me. So my convictions just would not let up. I think that's the thing about when you kind of grow up in church is that (laughs) you know too much to be able to do things without conviction. And so I knew a lot about God, so my convictions would not wane, and I didn't like it. I, I would be at the club, and I'm just like, I don't understand why I'm thinking about Jesus right now. I just really wish this would go away. So I called my cousin. My cousin was the only believer that I knew who would not um, quote revelations as soon as we got on the phone. I don't know if you know any of those kinds of saints uh, that just, just won't tell you about hell every time y'all get on the phone. You know you're going to hell, right? I didn't, I didn't, she wasn't one of those. Um, she would actually have a conversation with me, ask me about my day. Um, and so I called her, and I was like, Keisha, I feel like God is calling me, but I really don't want him. I, I just, I don't want God. Like, I'm enjoying my life. I'm, I'm having fun. I'm, like, chilling. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could really do without him. And she told me, she was like, God is going to show you how much you need him. I wish she didn't say that because my life just became real bad. Uh, It just got hectic. So I'm going to just say this briefly. So my dad died. That was sucky. Um, And then I got some money from him dying and being the fool that I am, got on eBay and bought a car. Don't ever buy a car on eBay, okay? Um, Just don't do it. So I got on eBay, bought a car, had that car for about four weeks, um, and then it got towed, didn't have enough money to get it out the uh, tow shop, and then I got arrested because I used to steal. And so it just was terrible. Like, it was just like my life was just becoming uh, ridiculous. And it felt like God was just making my life horrible for me to take notice of his goodness for me to pay attention to him. And I think it's a mercy because there are some people who are living wicked lifestyles and they are in lives full of prosperity where they don't even have the opportunity to pay attention to God. And so I think that my life being a little bit hard was God's goodness towards me. October 2008, I'm 19, and I'm in my bed. I wasn't at a church. I wasn't at a conference. There was no altar. Once again, I wasn't going to church. And I was in my bed. I was probably watching Making the Band or something really irrelevant. And I felt God speak to my heart and say that the girl that I was with would be the death of me. It was deep because I felt as if he wasn't just saying that lesbianism would be the death of me, but that my life would be the death of me. I think a lot of times when we have this conversation about homosexuality, one thing we forget is that homosexuality is only a piece of the problem. I'll explain. One time when my testimony came out, this girl, she messaged me and she, she went off on me and said that I was being judgmental, being bigoted, et cetera, et cetera, and that God was okay with her lifestyle. And I asked her, I said, if lesbianism wasn't even an issue for you, would God still be pleased with your life? Would you still be reckoned holy and righteous? And she said, no. 
that question, what it does is it identifies that lesbianism is not, or homosexuality is not the main problem. The problem is sin. Sin is the problem. Homosexuality is a leaf on a tree of sins. And so on that tree, you might have liar, you might have uh, lustful, you might have pride, you might have unrighteous anger. But what needs to be dealt with is not plucking off one sin. That's why you have some people that are saying, you know, I asked God to make me straight and he didn't. The problem was that you asked God to save you from one thing and not to save you from all of you. That was the problem. And so what needs to happen is, is that God needs to get a hold of the root. God needs to get to the root of the tree, change the tree through regeneration and sanctification and salvation so that the leaves now will bear fruit, where you will see joy and peace and self-control and all of the things that the fruit of the Spirit will produce. And so in me, I noticed that I had a big issue with the Lord. So I started to compare the cost. I started to think about everything that I loved and their consequences. So I thought about, okay, uh, okay, I think it's been clear that God don't like that. I done heard that all my life. Okay, that's not good. Oh, I really like uh, getting drunk. Man, that's a sin too. Dang. Um, I don't honor my parents. Man, Old Testament was very clear that that's not okay with God. Oh, Goodness gracious, I'm a thief. Hell, wow. Like, I was just like, everything I loved was terrible. Um, and what I saw was everything that I had affection for, everything that I enjoyed, everything that I done, did naturally, that at the end of the day, it wasn't worth it. So I started to have this conversation with God, and I was like, God, I, I hear what you're saying, you know, but I don't want to be straight. Like, that's just not something I want to do. And that disposition of heart that I had is typical, where if you meet those who are same-sex attracted, you will hear, if you preach Jesus, what they hear you say is be straight. When in reality, Jesus is not calling us to heterosexuality, he is calling us to holiness. But it's hard to hear the difference. Hear me. Heterosexuality is not the goal per se. Holiness is the goal because once I get to know Jesus, then he works out all the rest, right? I think sometimes people have become what I like to call heterosexual evangelists, where when talking to the LBGTQ community, they will present the gospel of marriage or the gospel of being straight as if that is the goal of this life. As if when we get to heaven, we will have marriage between man and woman. Marriage won't exist. What will exist is the lamb and the church. will exist in the bridegroom and the bride. So we can't preach marriage. We need to preach Jesus. So what I came to see... What I came to see was that God was ultimately calling me to himself. That God wanted me to know him. That God wanted me to love him. That God wanted me to serve him. So I told God in my bed, I'm like, man, what you called me to was hard. I had tried to be saved about 18 times, reading a little sinner's prayer on the back of the little books about heaven. 
Um, and it just never seemed to work because no one had ever explained to me that salvation was a supernatural work of the Spirit of God, that I can change my clothes all day, I can change my friends all day, I can start listening to certain music, but that would not change my heart, that would not change my nature, that would not change my mind, that I needed the Spirit of God to do the work for me. And so I told God, I don't know how to do what you are calling me to do, but I know enough about you to know that you will help me. I had no idea that that was repentance because I didn't know that word existed. I had no idea that was faith because I didn't know that that word existed. But what had happened was is I saw my sin rightly. I saw it as unworthy of my time. I saw it as unworthy of my attention. I saw it as worthless. I saw it as not good. I saw it as an idol. I saw it as a lie. All of my sin, hence. I saw it all for what it was, and I turned. But I didn't turn to self-righteousness. I didn't turn in on myself to think that I can make myself saved. What I did was I turned to Christ, seeing that only he could save me, only he could change me, only he could renew me, only he could sanctify me, only he could regenerate me, and I had no choice but to believe. Faith is not optional. God was not suggesting that I would repent and believe in his name. He was commanding it. So that's what I did, and God saved me. And I knew I was different the next day because I went to work. I used to work at Wendy's, so if y'all want the recipe for a junior bacon um, and a sour cream and chopped potato, holler at me afterwards. Um, they do have real meat, though. I'll let you know that. McDonald's, I can't vouch for them. Um, <laughs> Obviously, I have, I, don't have, I have a thing against McDonald's anyway. Um, I was at work, and this girl walked into the restaurant, and I was behind the cash register. And she was pretty. And I remember looking at her in, in typical fashion. What I would have did two days prior would be to stare at her, lust after her, objectify her, um, and maybe stare at her long enough to see if she, you know, was on the same page that I was on. But in my heart... I was aware of God for the first time. And it wasn't as if God was never sovereign before. It wasn't as if I didn't believe that he saw me when I was in sin. It was just that this time I cared. I cared about what God thought about my behavior. I had a reference for him that I had never felt. My clothes were still the same. I still had my sports bra on and my boxers on, but this time I wanted to honor God. I think it's valuable to talk about temptation when talking about these discussions because I believe some people in the church have propagated this kind of lie that to be set free from sin means to not be tempted by sin. So I want to kill that. Because I've been in churches where they'll say, well, you know, if God delivered you from that, you shouldn't be struggling with it. So if you're struggling with it, then you're obviously still that. That's still who you are. The truth of the matter is that can't be true considering Jesus. Considering that it says that he was tempted, yet without sin, and so now, if, to me, if Jesus was tempted, yet didn't sin, then obviously temptation can't define deliverance. Then obviously temptation can't define my identity, but rather how I respond to it. 
And so being a believer means now that though I might be tempted, though I might still see beautiful women, though I might still want to lust after people, though I might still want to watch pornography, though I might still want to do things that are wicked in God's sight, now I have power. My message is entitled, The Wolf is at the Door. The wolf is at the door. Father, I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, for your word. It's a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. I thank you, Lord, for the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit that gives us new hearts, Lord, so that we can stretch out beyond our limitations and be ambassadors of you and your word to all who can still hear. I thank you, Lord, for the anointing of your spirit. I thank you for courage and compassion today, God, to speak things that need to be spoken in this generation. Help us, Lord, as a church, never to back away from truth. Help us to go forward and let it fall where it may. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. The wolf is at the door. Isaiah chapter 53 prophet Isaiah says these words who has believed our report beginning at verse 1 and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant as a root out of dry ground he has no form or comeliness and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him he's despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, it's, it's so important before we even begin to look at this passage of Scripture to understand that it was a religious system that crucified Christ. You know, we understand that the Roman authorities were the instruments of his death, but it was the religious order of the day created by God's own people that put the Son of God on a cross. There were leaders in that generation, and they had, they had used their position over the people to garner titles for themselves. They had adorned themselves in righteous robes as they saw it, and they, they loved to parade among the people, as Jesus said, and be called master, teacher, teacher, teacher in the marketplace. But Jesus himself came in a form that he did not take on this form of grandeur that men give to themselves. And also, too, they created a system of salvation that was much wider and much more inclusive than the one that God had given to us. As a matter of fact, it was so narrow that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. They were so offended when he challenged their religious system because they had, they had created this wide door into eternal life and eternal bliss with God that doesn't exist. All kinds of people were coming into the temple 
defiled and going out defiled. They were living in manners and ways that the Bible clearly indicated would leave them excluded from the kingdom of God forever. And so in comes this man. He's not interested in their system. He's not trying to garner one of their titles. He's not doing things their way. The Bible says there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. He's not dressed in righteous robes. He's he's not got boxes on his forehead. He's not walking around with tassels on his arms. He's not parading like some rooster before the people. Talking about how close to God he actually is. They despised him and rejected him because he challenged the religious system. They had created a system of redemption that did not exist. Do you understand? And that's the propensity of humankind. The original sin in the Garden of Eden is that we can be as God is. Remember, we can, we can become judges of what's good and what's evil. And if you take that to its logical extension, we can start declaring things that are, that are God forgives when he doesn't. We can start declaring behaviors righteous when they're not. We can start telling people they're going to heaven when they aren't. That is the grave, grave danger of religion. When humankind in its sin nature is allowed to take it and so twist it and so pervert it that it becomes something that God never intended it to be. Can you imagine sitting in a place as a professed or supposed believer in Christ only to end up at the throne of God one day to find out you've been outside the whole thing all along? What a tragedy that's going to be for so many. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. There was a a heaviness in the heart of the Son of God as he looked on the people as sheep without a shepherd. But we hid our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And we are, of course, reliving the scripture again in great measure in our day. In many, many places, even where God's people are gathering, the word of God is despised. And we are now gravitating to fancy preachers who have opened the door real wide to people who are not going to heaven, giving them false peace when they're not at peace with God. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things are what passed away, and behold, all things are become new. If, if we are in Christ, if Christ is in us, That means a new value system. It means a new heart. It means a new mind. It means a new way of speaking, thinking, living. It means that what God says is good is good and what God says is evil is evil. We don't try to change that. We accept that from the word of God. Now this message is given to shepherds to bring us not only to the knowledge of our salvation but to the freedom which Christ bought for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And by his beating, as it is, that he took on the cross, we are healed. The old things don't have power over us anymore unless we choose to let them. The old ways of living, speaking, thinking, doing are broken. And we become new creations in Christ. We are able to look back and say, thank God I'm not what I used to be. I'm not everything that I hoped to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be, and thank God I'm going to be one day what Christ is calling me to be. So there's this constant moving forward in the life of a genuine believer, leaving 
an old way of thinking, an old way of living, an old way of speaking and moving to truth, even when it's painful. The book of Proverbs says a righteous person swears to their own hurt and doesn't change. In other words, I say I'm going to do this and I do it because God's word says I should, even if it causes me pain. And I don't turn from it. Now, Paul was this kind of a shepherd. He, he didn't hold back, as I said earlier. This is what he said in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 to 31. He said, therefore, I testify to you this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. In other words, and this is the cry of my heart. If anyone here today, hearing my voice, ends up in hell, let it not be my fault. Let it never be because I didn't declare to you the whole counsel of God, or I didn't warn you of something that had the power to drag you down into eternal darkness. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul says, For this I know, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, he said, day and night with tears. Paul said there's going to be wolves that are going to come and they're all already, there's packs of them now. It's not just a few, there's many now in our generation. And they're going to come to devour the sacrifice of Christ and the promise of new life through him. They're going to promise you liberty, as the scripture says in the New Testament, but they themselves are the slaves to corruption. They're promising something they, they're not experiencing themselves and they can't deliver it. Listen to what Jude says, the last book of the New Testament before the book of the Revelation. Verse 3 says, Behold, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Here's what the wolves do. They teach that you can live a lifestyle against the word of God and still claim heaven as your eternal home. That is the wolf that's now at the door of the Christian church in America. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, 
That means people who engage in sexual intercourse outside of the bonds of marriage between one man and one woman. Fornicators are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Settle it. It's in the word of God. Don't be deceived into thinking you can live in a moral lifestyle and heaven will still be your home. So hard for this generation to hear. When you've got preachers standing in pulpits saying, well, God understands your need and God is a God of love and God won't send anybody to hell. No, that's not true. God is a God of love. We know that. But the Bible tells us that fornicators have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Nor idolaters, people who have other loves in there. Something that is in your life that, that is, is, is your whole obsession. Churches or Christ is just a little part of your life, but there's something else in your life that you're pursuing. Nor adulterers, people who engage, who are married, but engage. And, you know, today we take words like adultery and we call it an extramarital affair, as if it's a black tie event. You know, you are invited to an extramarital affair next Friday at 5 o'clock. Bible calls it adultery. Adultery. Settle it. Deal with it. The sex outside of marriage will keep you outside of the kingdom of God. And sex outside of the bonds of the person that you are married to, the, wife, the man or woman you're married to, will also keep you outside of the kingdom of God, unless it's repented of. Nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. In other words, that's both, men and women. Folks, listen. I understand the dilemma, in a sense, uh, that some might face in same-sex attraction. But I'm telling you, you can't give in to that lifestyle on any level because the Bible clearly says it will leave you outside the kingdom of God. Jesus himself said some people are eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. So in other words, some people just live their lives without any sexual activity for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And he said, whoever can hear this, let them hear it. You know, you can, you go to a funeral, for example, and you can dress it up with flowers all around, and you can, there's a death certificate, and the preacher can get up and say nice words, but the reality is that the corpse is still dead. You can't make it live. It doesn't matter what you do, and it's the same with homosexual marriage, folks. I've got to say it straight out today. I'm not going to hold back on it. You can adorn it with flowers. You can get a certificate from City Hall. You, you can find some backslidden preacher to say nice words about it. But the wages of sin is still death. You can't change that. Now listen. I'll be called a hater for, for this message today. I understand that. But I'm not a hater. If I hated you, I'd let you go to hell. If I hated you, I'd let you die in your sin. If I walk down the street and your house is on fire and you're up in your bedroom window and I don't warn you, am I really a good neighbor? Do I really love you? Do I really care about your eternal destiny? You can curse me out of your bedroom window all you want, but I will still warn you that your house is on fire for your soul's sake. Nor thieves. 
Lest we should think that we're just going to focus on one thing. More thieves. That means people who steal. It's that simple. People who steal. People who steal a little. They have a contract maybe and steal a little bit more than they should. Income tax time is coming around, folks. Are you going to pay your taxes? <laughs> nor covetous. Nor drunkards. People who come to church this morning, but you were out at a club last night. You're drinking and dancing, and, and this foolishness, I'm out there to share the testimony of Christ. Who are you kidding? <laughs> if you really are there to do that, stand on the sidewalk with pamphlets in your hand and give it to the drunks coming out of the club. You don't need to be in there with them. No revilers. You know, especially in, in this environment we're now living in, in this country at this time, where reviling has is is, is become the speech of the day, where it's, it's fashionable just to curse everybody around you. You know, Paul said revilers don't inherit the kingdom of God. We have a different heart. We have a different spirit. We're, we're a different kind of people. Jesus himself said, blessed are the peacemakers. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I love that. Would be to God that I can honestly say that of everybody here today. Such were some of you. But you are sanctified. That means you are set apart for the kingdom of God. You are, you, 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 you honestly repented. You walked away. You moved away from what God's word says is wrong. You can't make it right. You can't change it. It doesn't matter if a million people say, oh, isn't this wonderful? If God's word says it's not, it's not. You are sanctified. You walked away. You walked away from these old ways of thinking, these old behaviors and all of these things. And you set yourself apart for the kingdom of God. You're justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now, you and I are living in an hour where the wolf is heading to the door of the church, demanding in our generation that we bow down to this new definitions of good and evil. This is where we're living. The days of being able to say without penalty, what I'm saying today are, are over. If they're, not, if they're not over, they're very close to over. It's an amazing time that we're now living in. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. This is the point. There's a lot of hirelings and a lot of pulpits in America today. And they're, they're, they don't necessarily leave the people, but they leave biblical truth. They flee the truth when the wolf is at the door. When the wolf says, if you don't bow down, this is our golden statue. This is what this generation is going to look like. This is what you'll preach. These are the truths that you will espouse. They will bow down when the music plays to save themselves because it's always been about themselves, not about the people. The hireling will flee. And you, will, you are seeing and you will see a huge departure from biblical truth in the Christian church in this last hour we're living in. The Bible declares that there's going to be an apostasy, a great falling away in the last days from biblical truth. And the hirelings will lead the people, not into the narrow way of eternal life, but into that broad way 
of destruction. And they flee because it's always done about them. It's been about the robes. It's been about the praises of man. It's been about the titles. It's been about the numbers. It's been about the apparent evidences of success. Then when Christ comes and challenges them, they hate him. His own system hated him. His own people hated him. They pushed him away because he declared their definitions of salvation and truth to be bankrupt. He told them they were full of dead men's bones. He said, you go across land and sea to get one convert, and you make him twice the child of hell that you've become. These are the words of Christ. He warned us in the last days there would be a great falling away. He warned us. He said, you're going to be hated of all nations for my name's sake. You can't escape that. That's a promise in the word of God. We're going to be hated. It's starting now. You're seeing it in society. You're seeing it in the workplace. You can't even have an opinion on things anymore in this generation that we're now living in. Let me say it clearly now. Abortion. For the cause of birth control, or, or so the people, I understand there are extenuating circumstances, so please don't misquote me on this. But for the cause of just birth control, or for the cause of having sexual pleasure and not having to deal with the life that it can create, is sin in the sight of a holy God. It's a terrible sin in the sight of a holy God. In America today, the deliberate Gender confusing of our children in grade school is sin in the sight of a holy God. In our high schools, forbidding our children to pray and creating this fictitious division between the state and the church, which doesn't exist. If you really study it, you'll understand it never existed. It was created by the godless. Forbidding our children to pray in our schools is sin in the sight of a holy God. In our colleges, allowing godless professors to rise up and mock God and radicalize a whole generation against even their own nation that was founded by God for the purpose of being able to worship according to the word of God and freely by conscience is sin in the sight of a holy God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise be to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So let this society despise him. Let them consider him ordinary. Let them rebel against his words. But this day, if, as Joshua once said, if it be hard to follow the Lord, that's your choice. Choose this day. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. By the grace of God, we will not bow before the wolf in this generation. By the grace of God, we will stand for the truth of God. By the grace of God, we will pray again. We will pray again as a church age. By the grace of God, we will stand up unashamed for the truth of Jesus Christ. We stand on the side of victory. We stand on the side. We stand on the side of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah.
And as uh, David the king once did, we will stand in this generation against the lion and the bear and everything that comes in to devour our children and to devour the people of God. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up. It's time for the people of God to fight back. It's time for us to begin to pray. It's time to run for public office. It's time for teachers to speak. It's time. It's time for the people of God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Glory, 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 glory. The true shepherds of God in this generation are going to care more for the people than for their own safety. More than our own reputation. It's not going to be an easy road. But I don't know about you, but I'm not giving up this generation to darkness. I'm going to stand because the word of God stands forever. The opinions of men are like grains of sand on the seashore. They'll fall into nowhere. But the word of God abides forever. Now here's where I conclude. If you're living in sin, I plead with you, while there's still time, turn. Turn from it. And trust God for the strength. I know there's some sitting here or listening online or they're in the annex and they say, you don't know how deep the bondage is. You don't know how powerful the draw is no I don't but I know the spirit of God is more powerful than all of that put together and I know the promise of God is that we will have a new life an eternal life the days of living in Christian ease is over in America folks it's over we're about to join our brothers and sisters in China and other places who are being persecuted for what they believe. In Iran, who are being jailed and put to death for believing in Christ. We've lived a very comfortable, very lazy Christianity in America, but those days are over. The wolf is now at the door. Pray for those of us who lead in any capacity that God will give us courage. As I pray for you, that God would give you a cleanness of life and practice and heart and give you the courage to speak up in whatever environment you find yourself in. Our children are starving for truth in this generation, and they're wide open. There's only a few Goliaths that claim that they have the power to keep us from being the people of God, but they don't. So I challenge you with all my heart, turn from sin, find that new life in Christ's and rise up and be the person that God's called you to be. We're going to sing for just a few moments. We're going to worship. I guess my other call is just twofold today. It's for people to say, Oh God, help me please to turn from this thing in my life. I don't have to tell you what it is you already know. Help me to turn away.
is In the Morning Radio with Barbara. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The wolf is at the door. I don't ever want to forget the things that he teach in that message right there because it will help us to get to where we need to be. Oh, yeah, and, and stay, hallelujah. We can stay where we need to be, yeah, and not be shifted around or move out of our place. Because the Lord is soon to come. I believe that. Things has gotten wickeder and wiser, more wickeder than wiser to me. And I tell you, in this hour, but he said wickeder and wiser, and it is happening. I see too much going on in the church. Uh, I didn't like the world and just all kind of stuff. I know y'all heard all of the accusations against the man T.D. Jake. And uh, they keep showing all this stuff about it. They showed a, a video where the church was empty almost. And usually Bible study, Sunday, the church be packed out. But they were showing all of this stuff. And I'm like, what is going on? But then they showed a clip where a lady had prophesied, I think it was some months ago, that he would go under. He, it, he would be in bad shape. And I'm like, what? Yeah, all kind of stuff. This one young lady, she said, uh, you know God is exposing in this hour. And he's been exposing. But we pray. We pray for people. We don't bash them or beat them up. We pray for them. That God's will will be done in their lives. If it's his, his will, he can turn all of this around. If it's a lie, God can fix it and show where it's the truth. But if it's, if, if it's not a lie, then God is exposing and he will continue. He won't, he won't build it back. He won't reestablish it. Yeah, he'll let it fall to the ground and let somebody else get it. And sometimes what we do is we, it's like name brand clothes. We want people to think that we're rich. We got it like that. So we wear name brand clothes, you know. Uh, Fendi, uh, black folks wear FUBU, Jordans, and just all kind of stuff, you know. Louis Vuitton, uh, just, just some stuff. And we want people to feel like and know that we're a name brand kind of person. And people do church like that. They want to follow the crowd. It's a mega ministry, they call them. It's a big ministry, so people want others to know, oh, I, I go over here. So they say they have 14,000 members over there. So these local people, they, they want to partake in all of that. I just never was about a mega ministry. I'm sorry. I've always been about small storefront, little buildings. Small churches, everybody know everybody, everybody basically know where everybody lives, yeah, all that kind of stuff, because we're a small group. Yeah, I don't like all that bees, because the enemy is in there in wolf clothing, and then you got to be careful with leadership like that, too. I see it every day where people have grown, and how they started off so meek and humble, now that they have grown, they're nowhere near that. Mm -mm. They don't even, you know, act the same, I should say. 
Uh, they don't. Now you have to. Well, you used to could just call them and talk. Now you have to uh, make an appointment, a phone appointment. Yeah, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, what is going on? Now I know if you grow too big, you have to have have some help. And and God did that for Moses and Joshua and all of them. He put people in place to be a blessing, you know, to help judge and. Uh, have court and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, because one person can't do it all. But now you, you don't have to get all beside yourself and thinking you the one did it and you got it like that and you can keep it like that. No. We want to remember it's Almighty God that have all the power. And without him, we, we're not doing nothing because we can't. Yeah, he's the one that keep us going. Yeah, he's on our side today in spite of us. And so we love God and we thank him. And I want to share these scriptures uh, this morning. And um, we're looking at Colossians uh, chapter 4. And I want to look at verse 2, but we write that by 1. So it says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Verse 2 is the one I want to pay attention to. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with, the, with thanksgiving. Continue in prayer. Watch in the same with thanksgiving. In this hour, there are going to be some rough things, some hard things, some rough days. Uh, the prices of things has gone up tremendous. And it's in a way, it's as if nobody cares. Get it? How you get it? If you can't get it, you won't have it. Yeah, all kind of stuff is going on. Uh, it appears nobody cares about nobody. It's all about me and my family and my friends, and uh, we, we don't have nothing for nobody else. Yeah, the, the church is not really praying for folks because the church too busy uh, getting church stuff together, you know, and dressing up and wearing and matching suits and, and whatever. So they too busy uh, to be a blessing to somebody else. They don't forget God is God that loves a cheerful giver. And it, it just appears the church sometimes don't care. Yeah, it's about me and my, what I need. As long as I get what I want, I'm good. But we got to go back and take a look around, and we got to care about others. He said, be especially good to the members of the household of faith. So we got to be especially good to our brothers and sisters in Christ and not just brush them off and pass them by. If the world asks me for something, my brothers and sisters in Christ get it before the world. Mm-hmm. We'll join ass with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And it makes all the difference in the world. Now, if we look down at that third verse, it says, whether praying also for us, that God will open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bond, that I may 
make it manifest as I ought to speak. See, we, we, we should be great witnesses. We should be talking of his wondrous works and making known his deeds among the people. That That's what we should do every day, all day, as often as opportunity is presented to us. But we watching as well as praying. Yeah. We watching that we stay steadfast and unmovable, always abound in the works of the Lord. We watch as well as pray so that we are preparing for his return daily. But many times, and I'm raising my hand because I'm guilty, many times we let what go on in this life dictate to us or make us feel some kind of way. And we have to get back on track quickly, quickly, quickly. I can't tell it. As soon as I see myself in there, uh-uh, let me get back. Oh, no, 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 this is not for me. Yeah, because we know not a day, not an hour when God is returning. And we really and truly want to be ready when he calls our name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I have one more I want to share, and then we're going to open up the studio. Look at that Matthews 24 and 42. It says, watch therefore, but you know not what hour your Lord doeth come. So we're watching because we want to be doing what we're supposed to do uh, when he returns. Whatever he has told us that we're supposed to do, that's what we want to be doing. Yeah. If he said watch as well as pray, that's what we want to do. If he said come out the world, come from among them and be separated, that's what we want to do. If he love a cheerful giver, we want to give on every hand as often as possible. Yeah. And so we tell the Lord, thank you, and keep it going in Jesus' name. But yeah, not only that, uh, we're watching because the master's going to return, you know. But we're watching to see who we can be a blessing to. Where can we be a blessing in this day and hour? Yeah. And it's already all right today. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we thank him. We thank him. Because it's all because of him. Nothing because of us. It's all because of him. And so we're grateful unto him this morning. I thank God uh, again for the wolf being at the door. That's very important to remember. Yeah. So look, I'm going to one more quick song uh, of the morning. And uh, when we come back, the studio is open. Uh, if you want to share those uh, Bible questions, feel free. Feel free.
G-O-D, that sells. L-O-V-E, it sells. Yeah. And so people buy into it and they feel like, you know, they buying into God. They they find in what they need, but that's not necessarily true. And so we thank God this morning for the real men and women of God. Yeah, that's in him and he's in them and it shows. And so we're thankful. Listen, the studio is open. If anyone has something this morning they would like to say, please feel free and come in if you uh have an answer to the Bible questions, feel free to come in and give us your answer and tell us where you found your answer uh, this morning, and uh, we'll go from there. If not, I will pray us out, and we get out real early today, and we pray that the Lord bring us back tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, for another episode of Jesus in the Morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Yeah, I go over today and post those other five questions uh, over on the Facebook page of Jesus in the Morning. And I'm going to do it as a poll and, you know, ask that people don't put the answers there. That way, when we come tomorrow morning, we are able to do the questions. And uh, you can give your answer where you found it at, what scripture, what chapter, and what verse. Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for all that has been said and done this morning. God, we thank you for every faithful caller, every faithful listener, that faithful few, oh God. We ask this morning that you would move in a mighty way for these, your people, those that are coming through the archives, archives and the podcasts too. Lord, move in a mighty way for them today. You know what they stand in the need of. And God, you supply need according to your riches and glory by your son, Christ Jesus. We ask today, Father, that you would open every door. Because when you open a door, no man can close it. And what, as they go through the door, everything is good. Make ways where they see no ways. Lord, strengthen them in there, going through, climbing mountains, whatever they're doing, Lord. Ask the day that you will strengthen them in the name of Jesus. Bless their families, bless their friends near and far. And again, Lord, supply today. Mm. January the 23rd, 2023, in the name of Jesus. And we thank you this morning. We thank you right now. Father, we can't thank you enough for what you're doing right now. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. We ask this morning that, Father, you would bless widows and bereaved families and intercessory prayer people, those that are incarcerated, those that are in every branch of the military. Father, we ask that, Lord, you would bless children everywhere, wake parents up, and let them train the children, oh God. Lord, let them find training so that they can train their children properly in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you would bless Israel and prosper Jerusalem. Bless all our brothers and sisters overseas everywhere. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to bless America and the leadership in the name of Jesus. We thank you this morning. We thank you. Can't say thank you enough. Father, as we depart, bless our going out and our coming in this day. Move by your spirit for each of us today. 
In the name of Jesus, we ask it all. Amen and hallelujah. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we're absent one from another. In the name of Jesus. Go today in love and peace. Share the good news of Jesus and give someone something of quality. God loves a cheerful giver. So have a blessed day. I speak the blessings of Almighty God upon you today. Again, January 23rd, 2024, in Jesus' name. So at this time, I'm going to say bye-bye. And we'll go to one more song of the morning. And uh, after this song, I won't be coming back today. So God bless you. God bless you. And uh, have a wonderful day. Wonderful day. God.